This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today, we're going to continue a series of messages called Seek First. Um, We're going to look at what Jesus teaches us about when we seek his kingdom first and his righteousness. All of these things will be given to us as well. That's his promise to us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Over the last seven weeks, we have just slowly considered what it looks like to put him first and seek him first in different areas of our life. And today we're going to look at what it means to put Jesus first in our time. I I don't know uh, your feelings on time, so we'll just quick survey here. How many of you feel like you have more time than you could ever want? You're like the end of every day, you're just kind of sitting around thinking, I don't know what to do with all of my free time. Anybody? No? A couple? All right, there, yeah. Kids, good. Um, How many of you are on the other side of, I, I never have enough time? If there's one thing I could have, it would be more time. Uh, you know, now how many of you honestly know if you had more time, it wouldn't make a difference because you would just fill it with more stuff, right? Like you heard Ty, uh, Tiger King 2 is coming out. You're like, well, there goes my time, right? You shouldn't be watching it. That is not our Oklahoma. Uh, you know, but anyway, so, so there's just kind of, I think, the most common thread uh, among believers in America, probably around the world, but just let's speak to our context, is this idea of I don't have enough time, Right? And then some of us would follow up with, or money. Uh, but, but those are two things that, that we can never really seem to have enough of, because there's always more that we want to do. There's always more that we need to do. There's always more that we feel like others expect us to do. And so we go to bed at night with unfinished to-do lists, and we wake up in the morning with a to-do list that seems to have somehow grown while we were sleeping, and we just know, I'm never going to get it all done. I'm never going to be perfectly at peace. And and so what I want to encourage you with today is that is not God's plan for you. He does not intend for you or I as followers of Christ to spend our whole lives chasing our tail, running ourselves into the ground, whatever metaphor you want to use. He does not intend for you to wear yourself out to the point that there is no life left inside of you. And so if that is his purpose, then it means he must also have a priority for how we use our time, for how we invest it. So we're going to look today at Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to see what the Apostle Paul teaches us about making the most of every opportunity that we have. And where I hope we'll settle this morning is that you will come to embrace the truth that God has driven into my heart this week, that I have all the time I need to do all that God has called me to do. And from that space, we can find peace and rest, and we can find significance, and we can find meaning, And we can find the ability to work hard in ways that honor God and further his kingdom in our world. Okay, so uh, Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 15 and we'll read through verse 18. Paul writes, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So Paul begins by giving us basically two choices with our time. He says you can be unwise or you can be wise. Paul reminds us that we live in a world that's in opposition to Jesus. And so as we've explored in in every area of our life, we have an opportunity to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and let him take care of all the other things. 
or to pursue all the other things and then try to add on his kingdom and his righteousness as it fits into our lives. We face the same choice with our time. When it comes to your time, you can stop today and let the Holy Spirit come and say, let's reprioritize your life and make sure that your most significant time investments are in the kingdom of God. Or you can chase after all of the other demands on your time and at the end of the day, try to find in a space where you fit Jesus in just enough to kind of alleviate some of the stress and some of the pressure. And what Paul is trying to help us understand is one is wise and one is unwise. One leads you further into the kingdom, one takes you farther away from the kingdom. He's making a a very clear point to us that your use of time is never neutral. It always matters. The way you spend your time and the way I spend my time either pushes me farther into his kingdom and helps advance his kingdom in the world or works in opposition to his kingdom. And in the same way God has a purpose and a plan for my time, so also the enemy has a purpose and a plan for my time. And this this enemy's plan is the unwise plan. And you can really kind of break it down into two categories. If you're unwise with your time, you're either going to be lazy or you're going to be crazy. Right? And, and we'll just kind of talk about both of those. So lazy, uh, this is the one that no one raises their hand for, Right? Like, we'll ask in a minute, how many of you feel like you have a crazy overbooked schedule? And all the type A's are like, yep, me, I'm busier than everyone. Uh, you know, come here, I'll show you my to-do list. But when you ask for lazy people to raise their hand, they're just kind of like, I don't know. Do I have the energy to get it? You know, like, they're, they're, they're already scrolling through social media even this morning. Is there, there, there's just this idea of being lazy, you're just constantly underbooked. It's not that you don't have things to do. It's not that God hasn't put a calling or a purpose on your life. It's just that you constantly choose the path of least resistance. It's that you constantly prefer leisure and relaxation over everything else. So laziness, it, it doesn't necessarily look like a person who's inactive. It just looks like a person who's active in all the wrong places and all the wrong ways. To be lazy is not just to, to lay around, you know, with, with one hand in the ice cream tub and one hand in the Oreo tray, <laughs> though that feels like a pretty delightful Saturday. Uh, like, that, that's not it. Lazy, lazy can look like pretty frenetic activity. If you just, you're, you're constantly scrolling, or you're scrolling through social media, you're flipping from channel to channel, you're going from, from news story to news story, you're making comment after comment, you're just giving all your time, all your attention to all of these things that don't matter. Lazy can look like a, a binging type lifestyle where instead of pursuing the path that God has for you, you're just gonna, you're gonna watch series after series on Netflix. You are going to binge food. You're going to binge drink. You're gonna binge in all of these kind of leisure and pleasure type areas. Now, the, the problem with laziness is that we are designed to spend our time pursuing the right things. And that requires activity, that requires movement, it requires intentional thought and motion. But when we choose the lazy lifestyle, we're not just saying, I'm not going to chase after the right thing. What we actually wind up doing is giving that time, energy, attention, and motion to the wrong things. So it, it looks like this. If God has called you, if you're married and God has called you to invest your time in your spouse, And instead, you choose the path of least resistance of like, well, I know I should do that, but sometimes when we talk, the conversations are difficult. Sometimes when when I say, hey, how's it going? She actually tells me how it's going, right? And and then I'm stuck. And so so instead of doing that, we think I'll just just kind of be, be neutral. 
It's not that I'm, I'm not going to seek it, but I'm not going to do anything detrimental. But what we find is God has given us that time to invest in that relationship. And when we take that time out of the relationship and we disobey the Lord's plan for that time, our use of that time does not remain neutral, but often gets diverted into destructive patterns of behavior and action. So instead of investing in your spouse, you start investing in other activities. You might start investing in other relationships. You might start investing in porn. You might start investing in some of these other things that you think, I I never meant to do this, but how did you get there? It's not just that the enemy tempted you. It's that you stopped pursuing the path and the time investment God had for you. And then when you stopped putting in the time, the relationship was no longer what you wanted it to be. And instead of making the reinvestment, you just kept running down this path further and faster. You see, see when, we're, when we're lazy, what we're embracing is an, an unstructured, thoughtless, kind of drifting view of time. And when you take that view of time, you tend to embrace whatever is thrown up in your face or whatever seems the most pleasurable at a given moment. And I I would be pretty confident to tell you, you could read through all of church history and never find a man or a woman that God used in a significant way who says it all started when I was laying on my couch for weeks on end, right? At, At some point, we have to embrace this idea of God has created me to be thoughtful, to be intentional, to work, to move in the direction of his kingdom. Right? The laziness, sometimes we, we kind of take that path because we think, oh, it's, it's exhausting to go down that road. But, but here's what we need to understand. God gave you a limited amount of time, and in that time, he expects you to do a lot of things. He expects you to worship. He expects you to pray. He expects you to serve. He expects you to give. He expects you to work. He expects you to love. He expects you to expend your time, your energy, your talent, your resources in these directions, which means you are going to go to bed tired at night, right? You are like, what's what's he say? Six days you will work and the seventh you will rest. And some of us in our culture, we try to flip that the other way of six days I will rest and one day I will complain about how hard I have to work all day long. All right, this is not the path God has for us. Now, now some of us, you know, again, that's not the part anyone will raise their hand of like, yes, I'm lazy. Thank you for that. I needed it. Um, you know, in fact, there's most of us in the room who are like, I know some people who need to hear this. I hope they're listening. They're probably at home watching online because they wouldn't even get out of bed this morning to get here. You know, I hope my kid's paying attention. He hasn't showered in two days, but we got him here. They get, you, you've kind of got that and you redirect, right? Now, now, now you're on the other side. You're on the crazy side. And that's a very rude way of saying you're overcommitted. But it's okay, right? Like sometimes I think we just have to be slightly offensive. Not a lot, just a little bit to get our attention and to remind ourselves. Because as Americans, what we have bought into is a lie that if we're busy, we matter. And if we're stressed out and overcommitted, it's because we're really important and we're really significant. And, it, and so you, you notice this even in your conversations. Of, I catch myself saying it at times. Hey, somebody comes up to me. Hey, how's it going? And my, the first words out of my mouth are, man, it's really busy. It's really busy. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm really busy too. And then we have a one-up competition on like, yeah, you know, I'm really busy. I've got three kids. I'm really busy. I've got four kids. I'm like, well, that's your fault. Uh, I'm really busy. You know, I, I've, got, I've got this project at work. I'm like, yeah, well, we're doing a renovation. I'm re-, you know, and it's just like this like back and forth, this contest to see who's the most ridiculously overstressed, overworked, overcommitted, overextended. And then at the end, it's like, okay, you win. High five. And they walk off feeling good about themselves. 
But that is not at all the way Jesus intends for us to live. You see, that, that when Jesus says, hey, I, I want you to be aware of how you use your time. When Paul tells us, let's be wise, not unwise. An unwise use of our time is where we say yes to every new opportunity without a single thought to how it fits into the rest of our life. That for many of us, we are overcommitted, we're overextended, and we begin to feel it in our bodies. We begin to experience it in our relationships. We're short with those we love. We're tired no matter how much we do. There's no sense of accomplishment when we actually knock out one of the big things God has called us to do. It's just the stress of now it's on to the next thing. And so if you're here this morning and the very idea of managing your time or putting Jesus first is one that you think it's impossible, I'm going to run at 90 miles an hour for my entire life. It's simply who I am. It's who God's created me to be. It's how God wants me to live. My response to you is absolutely not. When we are trying to redeem our time, when we're trying to make the most of every opportunity, we're not coming in saying, y'all need to add some more Jesus stuff to your to-do list. Right? That's not it. Somehow that's the way it gets, it gets translated at times in the church. Redeem your time means go to another Bible study, sign up for another thing, serve here, give there, do that, and you're just adding more onto an already packed schedule, but you think it's Jesus stuff, so it must be okay. But again, it's at odds with what Jesus invites us into. So if you, if you consider Jesus' invitation to us in Matthew chapter 11, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And people who are given to laziness are like, that is my life verse, <laughs> right? Like, I'm just, hey, just easy and light, bro. That's how I live. That's how I, that's what Jesus has for me. I don't know why you're coming at me with this eight-hour workday nonsense. Like, have you read the four-hour work week? You know, and, and you just kind of have these, these thoughts. But, but what I want us to pay attention to this morning, especially for those of us, that laziness is not a problem, but craziness is, is hear the invitation of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Come to me, all you who are overcommitted and overextended. Come to me, all of you who think there are not enough hours in the day to do all that you need to do. Come to me, all of you who are sleep-deprived and short with those that you love. And what does he say? And I will give you time management principles that will make you a more effective person. No, he says, I will give you rest. Come and learn from me. And I, I, I feel pretty confident to say this, that Jesus accomplished more in his life than you've accomplished in yours. We all okay with that yeah. statement, that idea? Like I, I know for me, he's, you know, he, he did some pretty cool stuff. He did more in three years than I'm probably going to do in however many years he gives me. And so his invitation is, hey, come and learn from me. And what do we learn from Jesus? We learn what it looks like to be wise with our time. And from Jesus, we learn that I have all the time I need to do all that God has for me to do. And again, if you're super type A, you've got the long to-do list, even that idea right there is kind of offensive because you're like, no, actually, I don't. 
because you don't know how many kids I have. You don't know how many projects are due. You don't know how many hours I'm taking. You don't know how many hours I'm working. You don't know the challenges I face, all of these kinds of things. And, and I get it. Like that, that thought offends me as well because it, it seems to imply that if I'm too busy, it's my fault. And I'd rather it be someone else's fault, right? Like it's, it's not that, that I don't have enough time. It's just that other people want too much from me. But again, let's, let's go back to, to this thought. I have all the time I need to do all that God has asked me to do. I do not have all the time I need to do all that I want to do. I don't have all the time I need to do all that I think I need to do. I don't have all the time I need to do what everyone else expects me to do. But I have all the time I need to do what God has called me to do. Now again, this is, this is not just like a, a generic principle that we pulled out of nowhere. This is a truth rooted in Jesus' invitation to us in Matthew chapter 11 and reinforced in Paul's instruction in Ephesians chapter 5. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come and learn from me. Take my yoke, my way of life upon you. It is easy and light. And then Paul tells us, hey, you've got to pay attention to how you're using your time, not in unwise ways, but in wise, because the world is evil. You got to make the most of every opportunity. They're laying it out for us that Jesus expects us to come to him to work hard in significant ways that brings rest to our souls. It doesn't mean you're never going to be physically tired. It doesn't mean you're not going to have some long days or long nights, but it means your soul will come to life in the process, not be crushed by it. And so if you're in a spot this morning where you're feeling like my soul is dead, my mind is numb, my emotions are raw, and I can't take it anymore, that is not because that's the life Jesus has for you. It's because somewhere along the way, your priorities with your time have gotten off track. And so we're just being invited this morning by Paul in Ephesians 5, by Jesus in Matthew 11, to reconsider our investment of our time and how that affects everything else in our life. Pastor Rick Warren says it this way. He says, we all have the same amount of time. God has given each of us 100 of, 168 hours in a week. One reason we burn out is because we try to cram too much into those 168 hours or because we get busy doing things God never meant for us to do. The question you need to ask yourself is, how am I investing my time? In your 168 hours, God intends for you to sleep, right? He intends for you to invest in community. He intends for you to worship. He intends for you to pray. He intends for you to go all in in the closest relationships where you have the most responsibility, he intends for you to be fully committed at school or at work or wherever he has called you. And in that space, he intends for it all to be done in 168 hours. God has never messed up the math and accidentally given you 210 hours worth of responsibilities. Every week, you have 168 hours, which means you have to evaluate, how am I using my time? Because he has a plan for every moment of every day. And this is what Paul invites us into. He says, we want to make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Wise living 
If unwise living is lazy and crazy, wise living is intentional and thoughtful. It's living with an awareness of God knows exactly who I am. He knows exactly where I am. He knows exactly what he has called me to do, and he knows exactly how much time I have to do it. And his end goal is that I will have life and have it to the full. Not that the life will be ground out of me by the pace at which I'm running, working, serving, loving, giving, stressing, worrying. So if this is Jesus' plan, what does it mean for you and I to make the most of every opportunity? It means we have to make the most of the one who gives us every opportunity. So your, your first idea of how am I going to manage my time is Jesus is going to get the first and the best of my time. He's going to be the first priority, not a last-minute add-on. Now, to make the most of Jesus means you are going to lock in and pay attention to it. Last night, um, you know, it's, it's been a busy couple weeks for, for Angie and I and for our family. Yesterday was one of those, I'm sure you've had those Saturdays where they're, they're really good days, but really full days. And at the end of the day, you realize you haven't actually, if you're married, you haven't talked to your spouse. If you're not, you haven't talked to your friends. Like, you haven't had any connection. You just went from one thing to the next. So uh, yesterday morning, I, I was able to, to do uh, Ben Gruenwald's funeral, and we celebrated just this great man and his faithfulness to the Lord. And it was a, a really sweet, just small service with his family. And then I went from that, I went home and, and grabbed one of my sons, and we came back up, and we worked with the crew for several hours throughout the day to get everything ready for today. And then last night, there was a couple families from Christian Chapel that hosted our pastoral staff at their house and made this beautiful Indian feast that, I mean, I'd been excited about all week long, right, of just, man, I can't wait for that moment. And so we went, and, and we, we just loved it, and they kind of, they had all the, the girls sit at one table, all the guys were in another room, and so by the time Angie and I got home last night, we really hadn't spent much time talking, and, and at that dinner, I could feel my phone just buzzing and buzzing and buzzing and buzzing, and, and so we got home, and I was, I was sitting on our stairs, and Angie was kind of putting some things away, and I just started to, to respond to some of those, right? You know, like you're, you've been there too. You're going through of like, need to deal with that, need to deal with that. How long can I ignore that? Those kind of things, right? Um, so, so I'm responding and there's, there's different stuff. There's stuff for my family. There's stuff for some of my friends. There's stuff for work, all of these kinds of things. And in the middle of that, Angie's trying to tell me a story about something she learned at dinner that night. And I was listening. Uh-huh. Yep. Oh, wow. For real? You know, and, and it's just that. And she, she finally was like, hey, I, I can tell you don't want it. I'm like, no, no, no. I, I want to talk to you. I want, I legitimately want to hear this story. Just, I just need to, it just, and it was in that moment that was like, oh, okay. I, to make the most of every opportunity in that moment looked like I just got to put that phone away and I just got to be present. And yet for many of us, when we hear Jesus saying, hey, make the most of every opportunity, we're like, yeah, yep, I will, I will. But I got to get this done first. I got to get that done first. I got to knock this out. And, and Jesus, when I get to the end, I would love to sit and have a long talk with you about how I can reprioritize my life. But let me finish everything first. And then I'll get back to you. And, and you, you wind up in the same space I wound up with Angie, where you make this decision of, I'm either going to be fully present in this moment or the moment's going to pass. And, and what Paul is inviting us into is make the most of the one who's done the most for you. 
And, and so you've got to figure out what that looks like in your life. You've got to build in some habits, some routines, where Jesus is a frequent part of your life, where his word is the first word and the last word every day, where you're living with an awareness of his power and his presence in every single moment. And as you do, you will begin to learn what it means to redeem the time, to make the most of every opportunity. But most of us fail to experience that fullness of life because we fail to make Jesus the first priority. Priority. So let's, let's think of it this way. If you have, you can do this at home later on your own. So if you've got just a, a regular like notebook-sized sheet of paper. So you can only fold a sheet of paper in half six, maybe seven times. Now there's a, you can, you can Google me later, right? I promise. Fact check me and this will be 100% facts. No cap, as the kids say. Um, that's for you guys. Yeah, I know. It hurt my kids the most. Uh, so, uh, so let's just say, you know, you fold it the first time, you're good, everybody can do that. Now the Guinness Book of World Records I think is 13 times for folding a piece of paper in half, but they had an abnormally long piece of tissue paper. So that doesn't count like most Guinness Book of Records. So that's one, that's two, it's no problem. That's three, it's no problem. At four, you have to pay a little bit more attention to it. At five, you're starting to really feel the tension. You gotta work the crease a little bit. At six, you can still make it. And then for most of us, without outside assistance, six times is the most we're going to be able to fold that sheet of paper. Now, if you give me a screwdriver and a pair of pliers, I can make fold number seven. Because I'll put it in there, I'll squeeze it around there, and it will happen and it will work. Now, when, when Paul tells us, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil, most of us come and we're trying to make the most of our sixth or seventh fold with Jesus. We're saying, hey, Lord, I've got all these other commitments. I've got all these other people pulling at me. I've got all these other places. And so if you could come and Jesus just be fold number seven in my life, and then what we discover is it's really difficult to make that last fold. So what we're actually being invited to is to come all the way back to the beginning. Now, when you come back and you, you unfold it all, I don't know if you can see it out there or not, but we now have got eight by eight squares all around from all those folds. And this is what most of us, so if you're thinking six priorities in my life, clearly I have more than that. Uh, so yours looks more like this. You've got 64 different things that are demanding your time every day. Now, again, our American temptation is for me to manage my time just means I need to put Jesus in the center little square and then everything will be good. But what Paul is trying to help us understand is if you're going to make the most of every opportunity, then you've got to come back and let Jesus that very first fold in your life. Because here's what happens when you do. When he's the first fold, he now will not allow me to fold anything into my life that's incompatible with him. All right, so if it's like Jesus is the first fold and I like cocaine, he's gonna make, no, that's, that's actually not gonna work. It's not, that's not, we're not gonna go down that road. We're gonna, we're gonna go in a different path. We've got a different order for you. You know, so it's Jesus is the first fold. My family is the second fold. He's like, cool, yeah, we can do that wife, kids, all of that sort of thing. I don't know what yours is. For me, the third fold would probably be my, my calling as a pastor. Like that's gonna fit in there. 
That fourth fold is maybe I want to be a good steward in every area of my life. So that's where my finances and my health and some of that, you know, as a type A, I'm going to figure out to, how to fit multiple things into one fold. Uh, you know, and, and so we're going, to, we're going to do some of those things. Maybe, you're, maybe your fifth one is your friends. Maybe it's, maybe it's something you're really passionate about. Maybe it's an area where you volunteer. Your sixth one might be, who knows, maybe it's, it's just some, some extra event, some extra activity. Maybe it's a, a stressor in your life of you've got a sick parent that you're caring for. You've got some extra responsibilities here or there. But here's what you begin to understand is when Jesus is the first fold, everything else gets folded into him. And now he's part of all of it. And it's a much different experience because now as a follower of Christ, my use of my time as a father, as a husband, is also where I'm experiencing the power and the presence of Jesus. Because he's the first fold now in my, my job and my work, he is powerful and present with me. And in all of these spaces, I'm trusting him to speak very clearly to me about how I make the best investment of my limited time and energy in these places. And, and this is kind of the, the point where we, we have to really stop and, and check out of our American understanding of time management. Because most of us, time management, it's like, yes, I love that. Is there like an app you would recommend? Should I make a list? Where are the list makers? Anybody? Like that's how you manage. Anybody like me, you'll put stuff on your list you've already done just so you can cross it off? Man, isn't that the best feeling in the world? Anybody add dumb stuff to their list? Like drink coffee? Just things that you're like, I did that. Man, I am flying through it today. You know, you're like you've got these moments. We do that. And, and so we, even when we think about time management, that's what we think of, hey, just... Hey, let's get stuff done. Show me how to be more effective. Show me how to plow through it. Show me how to have more time for myself at the end of the day. All of these things. But that is not at all what Paul does. In fact, I want you to hear how Paul finishes Ephesians 5, verse 17, because it is the most life-giving time management principle. He says, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So, so here's what we want to think about. Now, we're going to get to the be filled with the Spirit idea in a minute, okay? So, so I know some of you are like, just hurry up already. We know that's where it's ending. It is where it's ending, but, but just hang on, because Paul throws in this really interesting line. So he's talking to us about making the most of every opportunity, time, all of these sorts of things, right? And, and, and then in the middle of that, he says, don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Okay, that, that makes sense. You know, with my time, I want to understand his will. I don't want to be foolish with it. And then he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. I don't know about you, but that seems out of place to me. Like, why would he go there? And, and yet, I think he's, he's attacking something that was prevalent there in the church in Ephesus and a temptation that's still prevalent for us here in the church in Tulsa. And it's that when we are stressed, when we're overextended, and when we're overcommitted, we look for comfort in the most convenient sources. So maybe you're like, hey, I've never drank wine, whiskey all the time, right? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what your thing would be. Maybe you're like, no, you're, you're like me. Like I grew up in a home where there was no alcohol. I've signed my ministerial pledge. There is no alcohol. If you snuck at my drink, I would just think my water went rotten. I wouldn't know what it was, right? But, but still, we fill in all other kinds. Do not get drunk on wine. What's he saying? Don't give your mind and your body to experiences that are simply there to numb what is going on in your life. When you're feeling overextended and overcommitted, 
when you're feeling stressed out and burned out, is when you are most vulnerable to destructive behaviors. You know, so, so for me, it's, it's not do not get drunk on wine. That's really not a problem. It might be like, do not sit on the couch for six hours and watch TV and eat a whole row of Oreos and a whole bag of salt and vinegar chips, right? You can fill yours, own, yours in yourself. Like whatever form of lazy or crazy you tend to run to when you're overcommitted and overextended, what Paul is telling you is you, instead of running to that, surrender to the Holy Spirit. Stress, burnout, fatigue, exhaustion, these are all warning signs that God is giving to you of, hey, you need to stop. This is not how you are intended to live. And then Paul tells us, instead of all of those potentially destructive options, be filled with the Spirit. What what he's telling us is Jesus doesn't just give us time management principles, but he gives us the Holy Spirit, which means it's not on me to make sure I know every time exactly which fold to put in the paper. But I can trust if I'm trying to fold something into my life that is incompatible with Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to push back on it. He's going to let me know, no, that doesn't fit. Or he's going to let me know, no, that's not fold number two. That's going to be fold number six. He's going to walk with me through that process. To make the most of every opportunity doesn't mean I have a detailed agenda for every hour of the day, but it means my agenda in every hour of the day is to surrender and listen to the power of the Holy Spirit inside of me. It means that he will speak and he will lead and he will guide, right? And and so the Holy Spirit then becomes our best time management resource. If you want to get better with your time, you need to get better at listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Some of us are overextended and overcommitted because we say yes to every new opportunity that comes our way without even a momentary prayer of, Lord, should I do this? But when we begin to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, he begins to give us the self-control when those new opportunities arise and say, hey, thank you, I appreciate that. Uh, Do you mind if I take a little bit and get back to you? And in that space, the Spirit can begin to work, he can begin to lead, he can begin to guide. As we come to the Lord and say, Jesus, I don't want to just make you one more thing in my life, but I want to go all the way back to the beginning. I want to reorient everything around you. It's the Spirit who comes and speaks to us and says, hey, that might be good for some people, but it's not for you. Or it might be the Spirit who comes and says, hey, that's, that's not a no forever, but that's a no for right now. This is where you need to put your energy. This is where you need to put your talent. This is where you need to put your energy. And re- He's the one who knows the season we're in and the best use of our time in that season. And, and again, for, for some of us, the problem we have is we want to do it all, all of the time. Because we're afraid if we say no, the opportunity will never present itself again. But what the Holy Spirit does is he comes and he reminds us, hey, Jesus knows who you are. He knows where you are. He knows what he's called you to do, and he knows how much time you have to do it. And so you can trust him to lead you on the path that results in the maximum impact for your life in his kingdom. And you can trust that even when he tells you to say no, it's because there's a better path for you and there's a better path for those around you. So I want to leave you with a time management prayer. I'm going to ask you, actually ask you to stand up with me, and we are going to pray this together, a time management prayer. So at Christian Chapel, we are not terribly liturgical, uh, but we do like to pray prayers together on occasion. 
Um, and so we're gonna, we'll push this out on social media for you this week so you have a copy of it as well. My challenge to you this week, especially if you feel overcommitted and overextended, is to make this a, an every morning, every afternoon, and every night prayer. Okay, so, so we're actually, we're going to pray it together, so you're going to pray it with me. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for sending the Holy Spirit to help me make the most of every opportunity today. Give me wisdom to make your kingdom my highest priority and to filter every demand on my time through what you have called me to do. Give me the ability to say yes and no in ways that honor you and your work in my life. Thank you for giving me all the time I need to accomplish all you have for me to do. Amen. Amen. The band's going to come. They're going to lead us in a song. Just talking about how God is worthy of our highest praise. As we do, my prayer for you today is that your soul is filled with confidence. That you have all the time you need to accomplish all that God has for you to do. And if time is a source of stress for you right now, we don't want to just send you out, but we want to join you in some personal prayers. Or maybe you've never even started that relationship with Jesus. We'd love to do that with you as well today. As we sing, you can head out the back doors and to your left. Our prayer team's waiting to meet with you in the prayer room. They'd love to pray those personal prayers with you. If you're online, you can do that at christianchapel.com prayer. The rest of us, so we're going to sing this final song as a, a reminder. God knows who we are and where we are. He knows what he's called us to do and how much time we have to do it. And he is going to fill us with his spirit in a way that leads to life in every aspect at every time. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.